Welcome to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. We are so thankful that you are listening in. The Neighborhood Church is all about helping people find and follow Jesus. We hope that through these podcasts you are encouraged, that you're inspired, and that you're provided with practical wisdom on how to find and follow Jesus. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. September 2016. We started our journey through the book of Romans. I had no idea when we started in September that it would take until the last weekend of 2019 to get to the last few verses of Romans chapter 16. But tonight we're here. Tonight we get to hear the end of the story. And uh, I'm absolutely convinced that the stuff in this last few verses are really, really important. And I just pray that we'll all be able to hear it. Paul wrote this book to the church in Rome and had never, ever been to the city of Rome. He just felt the prompting, the direction of God's Spirit to write to the church. After he finished this letter, he eventually ended up in Rome and ended up in a prison, house prison in Rome. Uh, if you've seen the picture of the Roman Colosseum, the remains of the Roman Colosseum, uh, right across the street from the Colosseum is the place where Paul was imprisoned. I stood by the foundation of where they believed Paul spent his time in prison. In the 60s, and I'm not talking about the 60s from 60 years ago, in the 60s of uh, way back in Paul's time, AD 60, uh, Nero was the emperor and uh, Nero did not like Christians. And church history tells us that Paul was beheaded in Rome for his faith. Uh, Peter, the other apostle who wrote so much of the New Testament, was hung on a cross upside down at his own request and was crucified for his faith. Paul was beheaded. I say that to make this point. Paul believed what he wrote here. Paul believed what he wrote here to the point he was willing to give his head for it. He was willing to die for it. You can tell how important something is to someone by how much, what the price is they're willing to pay for it. And Paul paid his life. Paul was beheaded because of his convictions of the truth uh, in this book and other things he stood for. So we get to the end of Romans and open your Bibles uh, or follow along on the screen on the PowerPoint to Romans chapter 16. And we read this. Now Timothy... My fellow worker greets you, and so De Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen, 
I, Tertius, who write this letter, so Tertius is the guy, Tertius is the guy who wrote this as Paul dictated it, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you. And Quartus, the brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, According to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. Through the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. So I've been thinking about this message for three or four weeks and thinking about what you say when you get to the end of the book. And as I read this portion over and over and over again, five words began to stick out to me. And I want to share five words with you tonight that I really believe kind of encapsulates the whole truth of this book, doesn't cover everything, but if we can remember these five words and really get them in our heart and really get them in our spirit, uh, it'll go a long ways in helping us to live for the Lord in a way that pleases him and honors him. And so the first word that sticks out for me in this portion is the word God. God. In uh, verse number 26, he's called the eternal God. In verse number 27, he's called the only wise God. This book, my friends, is about God. Romans is about God. And if you were to search YouTube and go back to September 2016 and look at my first sermon here, I told you that this book was going to be about God. Uh, in the first nine verses, God is mentioned five times. The gospel of God, the Son of God, beloved of God, I thank my God for God whom I serve. This book is clearly about God. God God, God. And it ought to be serving as a reminder to every one of us that our lives ought to be centered on God, that our thoughts, our attitudes need to be controlled by the heart and the will of God. This book is about God. So I think it was Monday morning, I was driving around uh, the city and I had uh, the radio on and I was listening to the news and I was somewhat shocked uh, to hear that 
the public school system in Saskatoon has effective June of uh, 2020 decided to no longer uh, support and recognize the Saskatoon Christian School. And I thought, sure is getting harder and harder for God to have a place in our culture. And I was saddened, as if Christians in the public schools, as if Christians aren't part of the public. God was getting in the way of the public school being able to support the Saskatoon Christian School. And then I thought about television, and there's this show that I don't really know very much about because I've never watched it, but it's called Lucifer. And Lucifer is a story of the devil coming back to earth and taking up residence in Los Angeles and running some kind of a high-class uh, nightclub. And I thought about how messed up our world has become that we'll give the devil a television show, but we won't let God in our schools. It's a messed up world. And Paul, in writing this letter to us, takes us back over and over again to God. And I want to suggest to you that it's very easy, even for those of us who would identify ourselves as Christians, to get on the treadmill of life, and God isn't the center, and God isn't the heartbeat, God isn't the one we process all of our thoughts and our worldview through. But Paul, in this book, over and over and over again, brings us back to God, the eternal God, the wise God. And our hearts, my friends, my hearts, my, our hearts, my friends, ought to be centered and focused on him. So the first thing Paul does here as he's concluding this book is he takes us back to where he started and he talks about God. So the first word that stuck out to me in, in this portion was, was God. And the second word that stuck out to me was was grace. Grace. Verse number 24. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Grace is a central theme and emphasis of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1 and verse 7. 
to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This book starts with this pouring out of grace. This pouring out of undeserved blessing. This pouring out of, of great favor upon our lives. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 24. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And here is the exciting news for absolutely every one of you this evening. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, if you have made room in your heart for Jesus Christ, if you've made room, made space for Christ in your life, you've recognized him as Lord, you have been justified in God's sight just as if you'd never ever sinned and it is by the grace of God by grace Romans chapter 5 and verse number 2 through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in hope of the glory of God and if you leave this book of Romans tonight with nothing else in your heart and I hope you leave with more than this in your heart but I want it to be crystal clear to everybody here tonight where you stand you stand in the grace of God and the enemy will come and try to put you in condemnation. The enemy will come and try to think, make you think you need to work harder and you need to do more so you can get the favor of God in your life. But we stand in the grace of God. Grace is where we stand. Grace is where we stand. Romans 5 verse 15. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounds to the many. And friends, you don't just stand in a little itty-bitty drip of grace. You stand in a grace that abounds towards you, and it abounds to the many. God is never going to run out of grace. It's the grace of God. Romans 5 and verse 17, For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. <laughs> we reign in life through Jesus Christ's grace and the grace of God. Romans 5, 21. Sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How long is grace going to reign? How long? It's going to reign through Jesus Christ, through righteousness to eternal life. <laughs> It's not that something that will just last till midnight, December 31st, and then cut-off date. The grace reigns to eternal life. This book is about the grace of God. You need to understand you stand in the grace of God. Third word that stuck out as I looked at this portion was gospel. God 
grace, gospel. God, grace, gospel. It was a documentary uh, made of Fred Rogers' life. And uh, the documentary was called, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And in that documentary, there's a touching scene where Fred, Fred Rogers is on his deathbed and he asks his wife this question. Am I a sheep? Am I a sheep? And his wife looked her dying husband in the eyes and said, Fred, if anybody has ever been a sheep, you're a sheep. Fred Rogers was an ordained minister with the Presbyterian Church. And uh, he knew uh, what God's Word said. Paul is talking here about the gospel. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus. He'd heard the gospel. And now he's on his deathbed, and he's wondering if he's really a sheep. He's referring to uh, the parable Jesus taught in Matthew 25, 31 to 33. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And so Fred Rogers is on his deathbed, and the question on his heart is, am I a sheep? Am I a sheep? Friends, we need to understand something really clearly here. It's not our sheepishness that makes us right in the sight of God. It's not our sheepishness. You can't be a good enough sheep to impress God. What makes you a sheep is when you run to the gospel and you rely on the grace of God to put you in right relationship with Almighty God. Don't pursue being a good sheep. Pursue understanding the gospel and understanding the grace of God. That, my friends, is the gospel. 
Because the simple truth, Romans chapter 3, and this isn't new news to us. We've been talking about this for three and a half years. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith, this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in, in Jesus. You see, we're all sheep because we've all gone astray. That's what sheep do. Sheep are these silly animals who do whatever they want to do. We're justified not because we're sinless sheep. All sin have sh- all sheep, all sheep have sinned. Whew, that was hard. It's not your sheepishness, sheepishness that justifies you in God's sight. It's what Jesus has done for you. He becomes end of the verse the one who justifies. When you put your faith in Christ, it's the gospel. The fourth uh, word that stuck out as I looked at these last few verses is greeting. Uh, verses 21 to 23 greet you, greet you, greet you, greet you. And we looked at a whole bunch of other greet you's earlier in. Uh, in that chapter, all the way from uh, verse 3 down to verse uh, 15, it's all this greet you, greet you, greet you stuff. And, and he greets you by name. And the reason there's this mention of names in this portion is because people matter to God. And if people matter to God, people should matter to us. And so for my birthday in... Uh, November, I was given uh, this book by Heather Morris, The Tattooist of Auschwitz. And if you haven't read it, pick it up. It's, it's really one of those rare books. When you start reading it, you find it really hard to put down. And it's the story of a Slovakian Jew named Leil Sokolov who uh, in 1942 was forcibly transported uh, to a prison camp in Auschwitz. And when you come to Auschwitz, and they were getting so many coming every day, the first thing they do is they take away all your stuff. And the second thing they do is they tattoo your, your forearm with a number. And he was given the job of being the tattooist because he knew about six languages and he could talk to everybody who came in in the language they understood. So he became the tattooist of Auschwitz. The devil couldn't care less about who you are or what your name is. 
All you are to the devil is a number that he hopes spends an eternity in flames. Doesn't care a whip about you. Wants you to get entangled in all kinds of sin and all kinds of bondage. He wants you to stay as far away from Jesus Christ as possible. <laughs> but God knows our name. God knows our name. You are not a number to God. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 1. Thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob. He formed you, O Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. God knows your name, and God loves you deeply. You are not just another number on a file that he's been able to store away. And, and forget about you. He knows you intimately. He knows everything about you. And he knows your name. And friends, if God knows you and loves you so much that he knows your name, if we're a reflection of God in our community, people matter to us and people's names matter to us. My wife and I... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, went to the movie theater for the, probably the second time in a decade. And we, uh, we went and saw, so this night, tonight is brought to you by Fred Rogers, uh, the movie A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Movies worth seeing, it really is. And, uh, Without ruining it for you, for those of you who haven't been there, the story is uh, based on a newspaper writer who was assigned to write a story on Fred Rogers. Uh, this newspaper writer had a reputation in the States for just massacring anybody he ever wrote an article about. And so the editor was trying to find somebody who she could uh, send this guy to, to interview because they were doing a series of interviews on pe uh, articles on famous people. And the only person who would agree to let this guy interview him of all the people was Fred Rogers said. Fred Rogers said, I'd be happy to meet him. And so he comes and and he starts to interview him real hard. And Fred Rogers is not cooperating, but he's so sweet. He doesn't want to answer the reporter's questions. He keeps asking him questions about himself. What's your name? What was your dad's name? What was your mom's name? Where did you grow up? What's your wife's name? And this reporter spends a couple of months trying to get an article on Fred Rogers. And he comes out of it a transformed person because somebody cared about him. And friends, if the church should be anything, 
It should be a place that understands how much God loves the world. And people can come in here and experience that same kind of love. And it's a love that doesn't ignore people. It's a love that greets people. It's a love that gets to know people by their name. And it's a love that does <laughs> some of these strange things. Like it is devoted to other people, Romans chapter 12. It practices hospitality. It blesses people who persecutes us and does not curse them. Never pays back evil for evil to anyone. Sees somebody thirsty, it gives them a drink. That's how we live the gospel out. And so Paul gets to the end of the book and, and he's greeting people by name because people matter. And people need to matter. People need to matter in the Lord's church. And if I was to ask you, uh, what is the most important word in all the Bible? And then I established a couple of rules about what you could say or can't say. And I said, you can't say Jesus or God. What, what's the most important word in the Bible? And I would get all kinds of different answers. Salvation, grace, incarnation, resurrection, heaven, cross, blood, justification. I'm going to throw something out at you now that, and fortunately we don't just have to choose one word, but I think perhaps the most important word in the Bible is the word glory. Paul ends this book with this statement. To the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord in the... What's God doing in our hearts? He's transforming us into the glory of 
of God. He's transforming us into the shiny image that we had when we were first created in the Garden of Eden. He's returning us to the glory that he originally intended us to have. Have you ever wondered why all of a sudden when Adam and Eve uh, sinned, they suddenly noticed they were naked? Because they lost the glory of God. All they saw before was a lot of shiny. God is restoring the shine to our hearts. The glory of God, line upon line. Genesis chapter 1, God created man in his own image. Created them, and when he created them, uh, they, were, they were shiny. And then Christmas story, I held my granddaughter on my knee and, and read it to our family on, on Wednesday. It was lunch by the time I got around to reading it, but... And I, and I read this verse, Luke chapter 2, verse 9. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were terribly frightened. That's what the shepherds experienced on those shepherds' fields just outside of Bethlehem. When the angel came, what came when heaven came down to earth? What did they experience? They experienced the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord shone round about them when God is there in all of his beauty and all of his power when God demonstrates himself in fullness there's glory and we continue the story we get to verse 14 and what does this heavenly choir that suddenly showed up in Bethlehem's fields sing glory to God in the highest the heart of God is for God to be glorified. Glory to God in the highest. And so we're humbled by this uh, simple little verse in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 and verse 31. I think the reference is 1 Corinthians. I could be wrong. If it's 2 Corinthians, that's good. Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. What marks our lives as Christians? Whatever we do, we do to the glory of God, whatever we do, we do to the glory of God. This verse has impressed my wife so much that she has a stencil of it uh, right outside our bedroom door. It's the first thing I see in the morning when I get up to face the world. Whatever you do, do to the glory of God. 
But notice the context there. It's eating and drinking. It's the, it's the mon- mundane. It's the, it's the common parts of life. The changing the diapers, the changing of the furnace filter. Whatever we find ourselves doing, whatever we do, we do to the glory of God. And somehow, somewhere, some way along the line, we have got all excited about experiencing the glory of God in a church service. And oh, isn't that glorious because we sent something or felt something or somebody shouted loud. We call that glory. But friends, I tell you, there is not a moment in our lives, there's not a thing in our schedule or our routines that should not be focused on him and being done for the glory of God. And so the Apostle Paul, at the end of This great book says, unto him be the glory. Unto him be the glory. Five words. Five words. God. Lives absolutely totally centered on God. Grace. Uh, Next slide. Grace. Remember, friends, that we're all a whole bunch of really messed up people. But by God's grace, he looks at us and he calls us justified and he calls us holy, he calls us pure, he puts us in right relationship with him. It's the grace of God. That, my friends, is the gospel. That, my friends, is the gospel. It's the good news. And yet... Not everything we do just finds itself expressed in a vertical relationship with a God. If our faith is real, it has this strong horizontal component to it where people really, really matter to us. Greet one another. Greet one another by name. Care about people. And then lastly, it's all for the glory of God. So, when I, in 2016, decided to tackle the book of Romans... Early in the year, I decided to just read the book of Romans over and over and over and over and over and over. I don't remember how many times I read it. But in about my third or fourth read through it, 
I notice this Apostle Paul is quite brilliant and his writing is not sloppy. He actually had a plan in this book. He had a central challenge for all of us. Romans 1 and verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Paul's reason, reason for writing this great book was not to make great theologians out of us. Paul's reason for writing this book was so we will make the decision to live our lives out in obedience to the faith. Know the faith and then live it out obediently. And why do we do that? For his name's sake. It's not about us. It's for the glory of God. Everything's for his glory. It's for his name's sake. We call it obedience. So I recognize that at the start. And then the brilliance of, of Paul comes out in Romans 16. I think that text should be 1626 now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations leading to the obedience of faith. Paul went to the Gentiles and he ends exactly where he started. Learning this stuff has to take us to obedience. Leading us to the obedience of the faith. We live in a, uh, a difficult age. We live in an age where uh, it is so easy to get caught up in what the world teaches us and what is culturally norm, normal. And we make the culture our norm, even in the house of God. But God has called us to something much different. He's translated us out of the kingdom of darkness. He's put us in the kingdom of light. And we need to live in line with the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, in obedience to the faith. God, as far as I know, doesn't hand out any awards for great theology. You know why I think that doesn't happen? Because I think when we stand before Jesus, we're all going to recognize how messed up our theology is. I didn't write this book for us to become great theologians. Paul wrote this book 
so we will live out our life in obedience to the faith. We are so thankful that you've listened in to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you. Go to the podcast description and follow the link to get in touch with us. Everything we do would not be possible without your generosity. If you would like to give, check out that same link in the podcast description. If you have enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.